Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. Hypocritical religious leaders cause a lot of problems. Today in the Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, we're moving on to Luke chapter 17, where we can learn from four matters exposed in the hypocritical religious leaders there. Ron Kangas joins us for this exploration of the Lord's words here in Luke 17. Welcome back to the program, Ron. Thank you. Good to be back. When you mention the hypocritical religious leaders, especially in relation to Luke's account of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. I would like to point out the contrast between such persons and the God-man Jesus could not be sharper. One characteristic about our Lord in his living as God manifested in the flesh was that everything about him was real, genuine, truthful, honest, sincere, And so you have this sharp contrast between religionists who are emphasizing certain outward, usually legalistic practices, when they themselves, for the most part, are utterly lacking in what should be a corresponding inward reality. So they're encountering the Lord, being what they are, and conducting themselves as they do, gives the Lord an opportunity in his oneness with the Lord to reveal himself in his sincerity, in his truthfulness. We just get a fresh view and impression of how wonderful he is as the man-savior, God becoming man, living in the human life, but expressing the divine life. What a lovely person, what a marvelous testimony. Amen, Ron. Let me read the first four verses of Luke chapter 17, and then we'll go right to Witness Lee for the Life Study program today. And he said to his disciples, It's impossible for causes of stumbling not to come, but woe to him through whom they come. It is more profitable for him if a millstone is put around his neck and he is hurled into the sea than to stumble one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If a brother sins... Rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and turns again to you seven times, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Let's join Witness Lee. At the beginning of chapter 17, four points are given as a kind of teaching to uh, the disciples because of the background of the Pharisees. What are these four things? Number one, the Pharisees, they stumbled a lot of people. The religious hypocrites always stumbled people. Then number two, they would never forgive people. You see, they stumbled a lot of people And once they got offended by others, they would never forgive the offender. And number three, the false leaders in the 
religion don't have faith. If they had faith, they would not be like that. Number four, they are all proud, thinking, considering that they are so useful. So these are actually given by the Lord based upon the background of Pharisees. In other sense, the Lord told his disciples, don't be like the Pharisees. So the people who are enjoying the Lord in the New Testament Jubilee should be those who do not stumble others. Always do the best to protect, to preserve others. Number two, once some would offend us, we always have to be ready and willing to forgive. Even in a day, seven times one would offend us, we should still be willing to forgive. Don't stumble others. That means don't offend others. But when you are offended by others, try to be willing to forgive. And always, in any kind of circumstances, you have to exercise your faith. Believing in God and trusting Him for everything. Then we may be useful, we may be profitable, yet we have to realize that we have to humble ourselves, not thinking that we are so useful, but always considering that we are not profitable. It's very interesting to look into the four things in this way. Okay, Ron, let's stop here and talk about these four things and spend a couple of minutes. Number one, in the kingdom, we really need to exercise to be those that don't stumble others. And when we are stumbled or offended, we need to exercise to forgive others. And then as the Pharisees were the black background, so to speak, the matter of faith is critical here. They didn't have it. And then finally is the matter of pride. Seems like this really accompanies a lot of the falseness in the religious leaders, doesn't it? It's quite a concise account of a cluster of characteristics. They're not present in every single religious person, but there's something about religious systems that tend to produce this kind of person. First, the religiosity itself, the legalism the demands on others, the fault-finding of others, the criticism of others because they don't match your standard. This is a major factor of stumbling, of offending others, to the point that some turn against God. Like Paul says in Romans regarding the religious ones, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Yet the same ones that can so easily stumble others, when they are offended, whether it's an actual offense or an imagined one, they may be altogether reluctant to forgive. They have a demand, they have a high standard on others. If someone says, I repent, then they analyze what they consider the thoroughness of that and judge that. Then towards God, they themselves, because they trust themselves, Don't trust in God. Faith means that we're nothing. 
We realize we're nothing. We can do nothing. We rely on the true and living God for everything. A person who has genuine faith cannot be proud because the condition for his exercising faith is the humility that, according to Andrew Murray, the great Christian leader of a hundred plus years ago, humility is to realize that we're nothing. And so there it is in the so-called nutshell, stumbling, not forgiving, not exercising faith, yet being proud. Contrast that with the wonderful God-man, Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Lord. When we see that background, it makes us appreciate the Lord even more. Let's go on to the next portion here with Witness Lee. He's going to talk about a slave coming in from the field. And I want to draw attention to the ugliness of the pride that accompanies the false religious leaders. He tells of a master who has slaves, and the master doesn't take any special note of his slaves doing what they're supposed to do. And then he says in verse 9, he does not thank the slave because he did the things which were ordered, does he? So also you, when you do all the things which you are ordered, say, we are unprofitable slaves. We have done what we ought to have done. This must be our attitude in the kingdom and a complete contrast to what the Pharisees typically would exhibit. It's an ugly thing, which will be somewhat emphasized from Witness Lee's sharing. Let's join that right now. In the church service, in the large ministry, the most terrible thing is to offend others, to stumble others. Am I right? We stumble people. Don't do the Lord's work to build one foot, and then you tear down a foot and a half. You build up 12 inches, eventually you tear down 18 inches. Some who are serving the Lord, they just work this way. On the one hand, they have done a lot for the Lord. Yet, at the same time, they have turned down a lot. Even they have torn down what they have built up. This means stumbling. Learn not to tear down. Learn not to stumble others. All the time, be not only careful, but also cautious not to hurt others, not to offend others, not to stumble others. Then, once you got offended, ready and willing to forgive. So, you will have no problem. You see, we have to try not to stumble others, but all the time willing to forgive. And to forgive means what? Not to be offended. Regardless, even seven times a day, the same brother would offend you again and again. You still are willing to forgive. Once you forgive, you are not offended. If you don't forgive, right away you are offended, right? If you forgive, you just annul others' offending. Suppose I offend you, you forgive me, your forgiving annuls my offending. So you are okay with me, and I will keep with you. We have to avoid the stumbling, and we also have to avoid being offended. All the time be cautious, and all the time be waiting to forgive others. Then, under any kind of environment, we have to exercise faith in God. We have to believe whatever happened to me is of God and He's sovereign and He takes care of us. We must exercise such a faith in Him and do everything we can for Him. 
yet always realize we are not useful. Then, you know, you will be preserved in much usefulness under the hand of the Lord. Ron, this is a good place to stop, and there are several phrases that Witness Lee used that I want to mention, but you're welcome to stress whatever you wanted. One of them was, he said, you build up one foot, and then you tear down one and a half feet. Another one phrase that jumped out at me was, is if you forgive, you just annul the other's offense. Forgiveness annuls offense. And then the last one, he said, if you always realize that you're not useful and do all you can, then you'll be preserved in much usefulness. These are very striking to me. They are. And um, it's not simply a saying, you know, build up one foot, tear down one and a half. Um, I, along with a number of others who had the blessing of serving the Lord, have observed this. You have um, someone who has the heart to serve. He has some ability. The Lord... uh, to some extent, honors his service. But by what he is, he tears down. He, he tears down lives. He stumbles others. He causes others to want to stop serving or even to stop assembling with the saints. Very, very serious. That actually things would have been better off if they never embarked on some kind of work or service because the outcome in the long run, is negative. Then we need to consider what is going on when we forgive someone. We have to realize that our forgiveness, which should match the Lord's forgiveness, this is what he taught us, should involve a complete removal of the offense. It just nullifies it. It's like it never happened. In God, there's the matter, it's in the New Covenant, the New Testament. He will not remember our sins. So when God forgives, the the offenses cease to be. But the religious element in a person may not want to let go of that offense. There's some delight or there's just some factor causing them to lay hold of it. And if they forgive, they have to let it all go. And release the person. Then the third matter, the Lord is actually instructing anyone that would serve him. We need to realize he is the master and we are his servants. So we do what we are required to do. Simply put, we do the will of our master. If after a period of service we have done that, We shouldn't act as if that we're special, we're outstanding, we should get some kind of particular honor for this. Rather, our attitude should be the opposite. Lord, I'm not profitable. I only did what I was asked to do. That's all. I don't want anyone to glorify me, to honor me, to celebrate my accomplishments. I'm not that able. What did I do? You asked me to do something, and I obeyed you, and then I did it. But this spirit makes us useful. It preserves us in our service for the long run. 
Some may have a period of time where they're useful, but eventually their usefulness dwindles. And part of it can be a kind of expectation of getting appreciation and honor for their work and all, all of this. Instead of having the genuine, humble attitude, Lord, I'm, I'm just an ordinary servant. I did what you asked me to do. You don't owe me any special thanks. I'm not expecting any kind of uh, adulation. This is just the kind of servant I am. That kind of person can serve for decades, his or her whole life. Ron, right before I came into the studio today, there's someone who has been serving the Lord for decades, someone how you described, and he just had a burden to share this verse with me from Matthew chapter 24 about what a servant does. He gives food at the appointed time. And as a servant, you just give food to people. And if you give food to people, you don't have an opinion. You don't have anything to say except to give food. I I, I thought about that when we saw this comparable verse in Luke 17. The servant really just gives food at the appointed time. He doesn't have opinions about things. He doesn't insert himself. He just learns how to give food. Let's go on to Witness Lee. And uh, let me read a couple verses from starting at verse 20. When he was questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, Behold, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The day will come when you long to see one of the days of the Son of Man And you will not see it. And they say to you, Behold there, behold here. Do not go away, nor run after them. For just as lightning flashes from one end of heaven, shines to the other end of heaven, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But at first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Well, they asked him a point-blank question. When will the kingdom come? His answer was a little bit complicated. Let's go back to Witness Lee. After all these Pharisees came in again. Verse 20 says, And being questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God comes. When the kingdom of God comes, they asked. Then he answered and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. It is not visible, observable. It is something invisible, something unseen by our physical eyes. In his answer, there is such a strong indication that uh, the Savior himself is the kingdom of God. Because In verses 21 and 22, the Savior indicated while he was asked when the kingdom of God comes, at that time the kingdom was there already. He said the kingdom of God is not with observation. You couldn't say it. Yet you have to realize right now the kingdom of God is among you. You. 
including the Pharisees and all the present disciples. The kingdom of God is right now here. It is here, yet you do not realize because you don't have the spiritual view. You only have the physical perception. You don't have the spiritual perception. You need the spiritual eyes to see the spiritual things concerning the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not physical, but spiritual. Actually, this kingdom is a wonderful person. Yet, your physical eyes see the physical existence of this person. Yet, you don't have the spiritual eyes to perceive the spiritual reality of this person. And the spiritual reality of this person is just kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the spirituality of this person standing among you. So right now, the kingdom of God is here among you, yet you just don't have the perception to see it. Ron, tomorrow we're going to devote the whole program to this matter of the kingdom. So today we're just introducing it. The Lord was talking about the nature of the kingdom as he answered the Pharisees' question in this mysterious way. I want to give you a chance to talk about this a little bit as an introduction. Okay, there are two perspectives here concerning the kingdom. The perspective from uh, religious persons who are focused on what is physical, outward, and visible. And then there's the perspective of the Lord Jesus, the Son of Man himself, which is inward, intrinsic, essential, and spiritual. The religionists expected the kingdom to come outwardly, actually with a political and material element, which would restore the kingdom literally to Israel, And they were looking for some kind of signs or indicators that this was happening. And they thought that that was the kingdom of God. But the Lord said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. That is not, it does not come in a way that you can see it physically, that you can discern it. So I just want to insert at this point, this contrast is very much evident today. The vast majority of Christians that are occupied with prophecies concerning the Lord's coming again have this physical view. They're looking for outward things. Is this person the Antichrist? Is that person? Is this going on there in Europe? Is this going to be the revival of the Roman Empire? What is the the earthquakes? Is this a sign of the Great Tribulation? It's the same mindset. But the Lord made it very clear, the kingdom of God is among you. Well, that clearly indicates that for the kingdom of God to be among them, someone, not just something, someone was among them. That was the Lord himself. So please consider this, how jolting this is to the religious mindset. The kingdom of God is a person. It's not, first of all, a thing. It is a person. When the Lord Jesus came, he, of course, came as the king. But we need to see he came as the kingdom, 
where he is, there God rules. And it is this what is neglected today, that the Lord in this present age is developing the kingdom in the regenerated believers as an inward realm of life, where Christ is reigning in life as the Spirit. This reality of the kingdom is undiscernible. You can't see it. That's why the Lord said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. But when you are born again, and by believing into Christ, the Son of God, and thereby receive eternal life, the life of God, you then can perceive another realm because you are in it. So this is the crucial thing we need to see that the religious people are curious about signs and indicators. When is the end coming? When is the kingdom coming? On and on it goes, book after book, one false prediction after another. The Lord wants to say, stop looking at the observable. The kingdom is a person. The kingdom is the Son of God himself. And the Lord came to produce this kingdom by sowing himself as the seed of life into those with an honest heart. Yes, the Lord will return, and he will return with what we call the manifestation of the kingdom, like lightning flashing from one part of heaven to another. It will be visible. It will be discernible then. But let's be occupied with what is important to God now. That is the inward reality of the kingdom by realizing that the kingdom is actually Christ himself. Now, when he was... There on earth, he could say, the kingdom of God is among you. But now he can say to those who have received him, the kingdom of God is within you. It is within you because I, the king in the kingdom, am in you to produce in you an organic realm where I rule. Once this realm has been built up, then I will come again in an observable way. So... I would say sincerely to our dear fellow believers, lovers of the Lord and of the Word, we all need a change in focus from the physical, the visible, the observable to the invisible reality of the divine things and thereby learn afresh from the Word of God what the kingdom of God really is. Well, Ron, I asked you for an introduction to the subject and I... I really appreciate that introduction. In the next program, we're going to continue this matter of the kingdom. But for now, we've run out of time. Thank you for listening today. And thanks for coming in, Ron. We hope to have you come back many more times. I hope so, too. And thank you for listening. This is Matt Miller. We hope you'll join us again as we continue the life study of Luke. you enjoyed this program. For more information on Witness Lee and Watchman Nee, please visit our website, lsm.org. Again, that's lsm.org. Thanks for listening today.